the latest edition of the First Aid Pod. Join my co-host Leanne Hello and myself, Michael Govier, as we welcome in Aaron Kruger. Aaron is a stroke survivor. He had a stroke in his 30s. So he wants to share his story with you to let you know what you should be aware of and hopefully prevent any further damage or strokes to anybody who might be at risk. One person's story can make a difference. That's why we do this show. Aaron is also a survivor of alcohol addiction. He knows what happened, how it happened, and what tools and methods, after a lot of trials and tribulations, he was able to use to find peace and solace in recovery and free himself of alcohol addiction. It can be done, and Aaron's going to tell you how. Well, get out your notepad and put your thinking cap on, because it's time for the latest episode of The First Day Pod. First Day Podcast. It is 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on a Wednesday night. That means it's time for a new show. I am your host, along with my co-host, Leanne Hello, Michael Govier, and I'm really, really excited to announce today's special guest. That's right. We've been trying to make an effort to bring you personal stories from people who live them so that they can share their experience from their own human experience that may be of benefit to you. Or it just might be interesting. At the very least, it's going to be of use to you in terms of entertainment and filling your knowledge bank for another hour or so. Let's give it up for the man himself. He's lived a life and then some. He survived it all and still lived to tell the tale about it. Give it up for Aaron Kruger. What's up, Aaron? Oh, not much. Great to uh, be here with you guys. Thanks for uh, having me on to, to chat with you a little today. Yeah, people are very excited. It's wonderful. Thank you for being here. Glad to have you aboard. Uh, Aaron, how many podcasts have you done in your life? I've done one podcast. Um, I talked for about 40 minutes about my stroke. It was a series uh, about just, uh, I think he entitled it Hope After Stroke. There's about four of them that he did. Um, it was a friend of mine, Kevin. His father, Merle, has actually, um, he suffered four strokes. He's um, he's no longer alive, um, unfortunately, but um, yeah, it's just, it was great to connect with Kevin and I told him about the outreach I've been doing and um, him and his family have drawn some comfort from that. And, uh, uh, you know, he inspired me to, to talk about it more in my life as, as I go forward. So that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. But yeah, that's, that's the only um, podcast I've been on. That's beautiful. Oh. Except for the draft champion podcast, the baseball podcast, Uh-oh, actually. Oh, how dare you? Yeah, how I did. A, I did a Jeopardy segment. Uh, you know, fantasy t-ball. Uh, um, I I almost forgot because that one's so fresh in my mind, and it was a absurd fun. Um, that's the other thing I do is I make um, little little videos on Twitter um, about baseball and snacks. So then um, Zach of the of the draft champions podcast had me on to do a little little Jeopardy segment. So that one that one was just a more of a fun thing than a serious thing. That's awesome. We, I saw one of your, your Twitter videos. It was awesome. (laughs) I loved it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Aaron's honing his craft right now with his videos and uh, you can follow him on Twitter at fantasy T ball. Is that correct? Fantasy T ball with a T. 
Yeah, that's that's correct. And that's actually um, that's kind of where I reached out to you and got the, the ball rolling. I just wanted to know, you know, if you had any tips for how to meet, reach the most people, just because I like making people laugh. Um, and from there, it kind of progressed where I, I um, shared with you that I appreciated your honesty about uh, your struggles with opioids. And I opened up about my struggles um, with alcohol. And then obviously, I've had a stroke as well. So that's kind of where um, our relationship um, kind of where it got started. And then um, besides your uh, Cinema 9 podcast work that I also, you know, follow, I sent you guys a Beetlejuice video this Halloween uh, when we did that. So that, <laughs> I've interacted with you in a couple different places. So awesome. Yeah, that was cool. That's what it's all about right there. Look at this. Twitter just keeps on giving more relationships that come about from a place that some call an absolute cesspool. But... There is hope where you can find it. And home is where you make it. So if you want to make something your own in this world, it is possible. I always want to remind you guys of that. And that's what we do on Twitter. So I'm really glad Aaron's here. We're going to talk about all the stuff he just alluded to. Don't forget we have the book club, which is going on right now. Uh, what are we reading? And how is it going, Leanne? Oh, my goodness. So we're reading um, The Sleep Revolution by Ariana Huffington. And um, we have so far only done the first two chapters, which scared the bejesus out of me and made me, you will be very proud, Mike. I have slept over eight hours, both the last two nights since book club. So um, oh. yeah, it's a really good book. We're going to be reading. Um, I just set up the schedule. So I think it's going to be like two chapters um, and it's going to take us right into like the end of April, I believe. Um, so we're at the very beginning. So if you guys want to join us, it's free. It's an hour. It's Mondays, uh, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern time. We start on time. We end on time. And um, we do. we'd love to we have take you. take it seriously. Yeah, we'd love to have very you. Very strict with the time. Very strict <laughs> with the time. Leanne, don't mess around. So yeah, come and join us. We'll give you the Zoom link. It's open to anybody. Mm -hmm. But all you have to do is ask. That's the only thing you have to do. Firstdaypod at gmail.com is the email. Or you can DM us on Twitter, firstdaypod, or whatever social media you prefer and yeah that covers that and don't forget we never mentioned this enough leanne we have the first day pod support zone on facebook where yes. you can engage in conversations if you see something that you like today or you listen to the show after the fact and something struck you like hmm, i want to know more about that you can engage with other people in the first day pod support zone on facebook not my favorite social media but it's you know it's useful when you need it to be absolutely oh and i should let you guys know too oh gosh Aaron, we're going to get to you in just a second. So, but <laughs> no the, problem. Other, <laughs> the other thing that we've been doing is a couple of us have been doing um, like we started as a five day challenge just to like get our water in, get our eating in and all that kind of stuff um, and exercise. And now it's just like it's a group of, you know, there's four or five of us and we kind of just check in daily and make sure that we're kind of like on top of look at Aaron drinking his water. Good boy. And um we're just trying to stay on top of it. So it's, and Mike's doing a good job too. And I'm the only one in the actual <sighs> challenge and I'm not doing it. Ha <laughs> ha. So anyway, so if you guys want to be a part of that, if you need a little push, if you need a little accountability, then you can ask uh, to join that as well. And it's just through Facebook Messenger, super simple. Um, and we won't berate you if you haven't done it because you'll just be on my side if you haven't. <laughs> so that's it. Mm -hmm. I think. <laughs> okay. So it's now time to focus in on Aaron Kruger. Aaron! Where would you like to start? Uh, you know, you are interested in helping raise awareness about 
strokes and how real they are and how often they happen. And sometimes people might not even know they happen. Many strokes exist. Uh, the addiction part of the story, I think people are making assumptions. They assume the two are tied together, but they're not really, are they? No, they're two two separate issues. So I think um, just based in chronological order, it would be appropriate to start with the alcohol uh, issues and then go to the stroke from there. Sounds good. Take it away. All right. So uh, in preparation for the pod, um, I asked Govier. Is it okay if I call you that? I, I, I'm, I'm oh, more, it. more, more comfortable that way, I think. Um, <laughs> what episode I should listen to. And he referred me to Joe Chapman's episode, mm -hmm. uh, which I really enjoyed. And there was um, some takeaways from that that I enjoyed. Just a guy to get a flavor of what's going on. Um, so I think that our discussion today is going to be lit. Love it. Because we're going to learn, implement, and teach. And that, that's one hey! thing I learned from the pod. Um, and I really like that. lit already. No, I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, and then also another thing that I picked up um, picked up on, or I understand, is that there are buzzwords, um, I think is how you refer to them, that you're not a fan of necessarily, um, you know, like demons or relapse or slip up. And what I wanted to say is that I understand um, how terminology could have negative connotations, or it might be something that you would prefer people not say. Um, and and I, I'm probably going to use some of those words and I don't mean anything by that. And I, it's, and I, I know that you wouldn't uh, think I have bad intentions, but I do understand that when you're trying to get a message, it's, it's not only what you're saying, but how you say it. So I could understand that there's words that people are more comfortable with. So I wanted to let you know that I am cognizant of that. Um, and it's just something that I thought of. And I, I appreciate that. Um, we might have different outlooks on that. I understand your outlook, and I'll, I'll do what I can to um, accommodate you. You And that, I thought, was beautiful, Aaron. But you really, you don't need to. You Like you said, speak the way you're comfortable with. Mike just likes to, and he points it out to me because I use a lot of things not consciously that I'll say things. And he says, there's a better way of saying that. And so, um, but by all means, don't try to, to filter yourself today. Just speak as you would. Cause I think you're never really great story. Sure. Yeah. 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 As far as those words that. you just said, uh, demons. Yeah. I'm totally out on that. Uh, relapse is fine though. Relapse is a standard word should be used everywhere, but I get the point. Go to town. So take us back in time. Let's go back in the Wayback machine. Um, I I didn't really have any experience with uh, alcohol until probably my senior year of high school. Uh, completely stayed away from the partying uh, scene or, you know, uh, the social scene altogether. I was kind of just a homebody. I was a very, very shy guy um, before my, my life as a, you know, a podcast guest, things like that, many years down oh, the road. Uh, right now I'm 39. Okay, thank you. Just for audience clarity. <laughs> sure. Um, and, um, so I would say that was about 20 years ago. Um, you know, I got, I think it was late senior year. I, I first had my first experience with, with alcohol, you know, got very drunk, um, but no, nothing really till, till college. And that, that very first day of college, my best friend and I, we thought, all right, now we're in college. It's time to start drinking. Here's where we drink. And, and we each filled up a water bottle of vodka. We thought this is how people drink. So Oh, no. That was a night I, I don't remember, and, and uh, 
I'm, I'm glad to be alive. And unfortunately, there's many lights, nights like that in college where I drank enough where it, it could have been to the point of um, uh, serious problems, I think. Like, you know, the blood alcohol would have got up to, to very concerning levels, I think. Um, so, so pretty much throughout college, that was, uh, that was a recipe for my friends and I. We would just, you know, drink to excess pretty much with all of the activities um, that we did. And we didn't really see an, an issue with that. I, I guess I felt like it helped loosen me up socially. For some reason, I, th I thought that was something I needed to do. Um, that continued on throughout my 20s, I guess. Um, we would go out to bars uh, as, as a group. And if they had a two-for-one drink special, we weren't getting like two-for-one mixed drinks or, or two for one single drinks. We were getting two for one pitchers. And oh, yeah, I remember those. We yeah. needed we each needed two pitchers for our first two for one and then maybe we would get another one. Um, so that happened into the twenties. Um, unfortunately drunk driving um their incidents uh you know during during this time I was definitely very irresponsible, uh, kind of loathsome behavior with the amount of drunk driving I did. I get did get one DUI in college. Um, I think my, my, I was twice above the legal limit or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely, you know, don't remember the evening that well. Uh, uh, there was a time in my, my mid twenties, uh, the longest I ever drove, you know, was about an hour blacked out. I mean, I, I didn't remember the drive. So, I mean, very, very, very lucky to be alive. Um, mm -hmm. very lucky to it, be alive. When that happened, did you, uh, take time? take stock like whoa man i need to get my life together or something like that or did you just kind of keep on cruising kept on cruising uh yeah that that should have been a great opportunity for a wake-up call um and then so you know approaching the late 20s um it just seemed like i always felt like i had to be partying even if other people weren't i was the first person to have a drink the last you know to start off the day the last person to have a drink to start off the night um always drinking even if other people weren't and then where it progressed was um in my early 30s drinking alone and even then i didn't really see a problem i guess i, I shouldn't say that a a there was times i saw a problem where i would have given any anything in the world to stop drinking but i just didn't find a way out of that in my my late 20s or early 30s mm -hmm. I would tell myself, you need to stop drinking. You need to stop, stop this. Uh, you know, maybe try, oh, just have one drink, just have two drinks. But then I would fail and I'd get drunk again. And then the cycle would repeat itself. So this is, uh, um, and I'll, I'll continue on from there, but, but it does kind of work into what I was, what I was going through at this time, I would call a cycle of self-loathing. Mm. <laughs> Yep. Because I would I would set these goals for myself and I'd fail, which would inevitably lead me to more drinking. Right. And I that was something I never was able to break the cycle of self-loathing necessarily while I was drinking. Did you experience a, a similar cycle of self-loathing with your opioid issues? Oh, sure. Yeah. It's just drenched in it. Pure shame and loathing and just like uh, a lot of apathy and hopelessness wrapped up in all that stuff. I I can relate to a lot of what you're saying here right now. I would sit there and I would make food and stuff myself and not even have a lot of hope for anything in particular other than these mindless activities. So I understand. Yeah. So that, 
that was one of the things I thought about kind of as I was reflecting on, you know, what got me here and what I'd talk about today. The cycle of self-loathing, that was, that was, uh, that was definitely tough to break, you know, just, um, so I just kind of, and then when it, when it reached a boiling point, I guess in my, my, these, I don't know, mid, mid thirties or whatever, I was drinking alone and I was exhibiting behaviors where like I was, hiding how much I would drink. So if I mm-hmm. was at my parents' house, everyone would be out in the yard and I'd be running in and I'd be pulling pulls right from the bottle. So I, I knew it was wrong because I was doing it behind people's backs. Like I knew people would think, oh, it's it's really wrong how much he's drinking. But yet I knew I didn't stop. I knew mm-hmm. it was something I was shouldn't be doing, you know, for my health, for a myriad of reasons, but I, I wasn't able to stop. Um, yeah. when I got married, did yeah, you really want to stop too? I ask this question a lot. Like, honestly, the, a lot of times you don't even really want to, you get to a point where you want to stop, but there are also a lot of periods where you, you're supposed to want to quit, but deep down inside, you really don't want to. I told myself I wanted to stop, you know, I, I would think about wanting to stop, but, but inevitably I would continue drinking. So I don't know how much I really wanted to stop because I liked the idea of being being drunk and um at some points i think um you know it at at some points i was definitely depressed throughout those years and that was a way of maybe being less depressed um i guess one thing i thought of is there's always going to be a reason to drink if you want to give yourself an excuse to drink it could be um to take the edge off to drown your sorrows to celebrate so you had a bad day at work time to drink you had a good day at work time to drink that's right mm-hmm. you know a loved one passed oh it's time to drink you know celebrating the birth of a loved one time to drink every single thing in life there's an opportunity to drink um yeah so that that's what I've found is if you want to find a reason to drink, you will find one. But if you're able to find a reason not to drink, that that's what I needed to get out of the cycle. And for me, that was uh, my relationship with my wife and my children. Oh wow! So my wife, um, <clears throat> she was very patient with me early on. You know, we talk about trying to get my my drinking under control and oh let's see if i can just do beer oh good now i just did beer successfully hey how about if i only have two mixed drinks oh great then it escalates from there so there was times where i was definitely dishonest with her um you know lying to her about how much i drank and then unfortunately some of the most um behavior i'm i'm ashamed of um and i guess i'm not ashamed of being an alcoholic or having a problem with alcohol, the thing I'm ashamed about is the actions I did during that period. Like, um, you know, calling my wife terrible names or, you know, just treating her badly. That's what made me want to switch is, you know, switch up my behavior. My, my interactions with her or my interactions with the children, I knew I was not setting a good example for them. So eventually she got less patient and she said, you know, we need to think about a s- separation or I don't remember the exact terminology, but she said enough is enough. Um, I left uh, that Sunday and I was going to go stay at my sister's. But once I got to my sister's, I thought, you know, I had a bag packed. I had I brought food over there, etc. I looked up, you know, where's the, the nearest AA meeting? I went there and um, 
I showed her concrete change, uh, my my plans of to what I wanted to do going forward. And then from, from then on, um, I've, I've been lucky enough to not drink. So it, it was that ultimatum that there's serious problems with this marriage. You need to make a change. And then I made the change. Wow. May I ask where, because did you, you did you meet her in, like when you were in your 20s or where did you meet her? Where did you um, marry her? Like where does she fit in the timeline? Um, yes. <laughs> yes, I met her in my 20s, but that was more as a casual acquaintance. We started okay. dating in our mid mid 30s. It's been about six years now, I think. So oh, wow. okay. she definitely wasn't with me for a lot of the partying. Not to say we didn't party party mm -hmm. together when we first started met because she was um, she, you know, we would go out together to a, yeah. to a comedy club or whatever. And we both have drinks. It, but my partying um, became more than she was comfortable with, more than I was comfortable mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. That's yep. fair. That's fair. And may I ask how long it's been that you haven't been drinking? Uh, yes, it's been since um, October of 2019. So a little over two years. Good for you. Yay! Good for you. And can I ask, and I know that you've got like still a lot of story to go, but do you still find like because your why was so strong, like your kids are there and your wife is there, is that what keeps you going or are there still days that you're you think about oh. it and you want to go back to it or I saw I apologize because my wife I heard her in the background which is against the show notes do not be distracted by the background but she said no you stopped drinking in 18 you had your stroke in 19 so oh thank you <laughs> clarity thank you thank uh, you very yes. much so I'm sorry please repeat your question but I wanted to get the, the timeline correct no that's wonderful and what's your wife's name Jamie hi Jamie um Jamie yeah, that's awesome. No, that's totally fine. She can she can be part of the show if she wants to hop on. Um, that's right. So uh, what was my question? My question was, so um, your why for stopping was because of your kids and, and your wife. Um, I would imagine that that is still like high of that's why you're not drinking. But do you have that feeling that you want to still drink, but you're just doing it because or you're not doing it because of them? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I do sometimes have a feeling that one I I want to drink because I I love the taste of beer. Mm -hmm. Like I used to drink many different kinds of beer, and that was I just loved it. I I mean I and I I guess I love the feeling of being drunk. I don't miss that as much. The being drunk part of it, the taste part, I, I sure I still miss, but the health benefits I think have been for me really indisputable since I stopped drinking. My, my face is no longer puffy. I wake up feeling better in the morning. I, I don't snore at night. I, I used to have issues sleeping, um, things like that. So so for me, there's been a no, noticeable difference in, in health. Um, and when you ask about, um, like, do I still crave drinking? Um, so the answer to that is yes. Um, but I was actually cleaning out my car and mm. You know, there was there was something in here I got from my counselor, oh, and wow. it just talks about a risk reward analysis. Okay. You know, and I wrote down the rewards of using, and, and the best I could come up with the, why I needed to keep drinking was it's great tasting, um, it alters my mind, and I laugh out loud more, <laughs> which 
you, you know, there are other things in this world that are great tasting, you know, mind altering. Um, you know, I probably wanted to alter my mind because I wasn't comfortable in my own skin and I wasn't necessarily enjoying my day to day life. Um, you know, but then the risk of using, you know, you got an additional, um, you know, DUI, my marriage, health issues, blacking out, expensive, you know, lying to myself and to others, you know, ability to drive. I would go to jail if I got another DUI. This is not on the list, but if I got a DUI, you can't go to Canada. Right. That's right. <laughs> we know all about that. We're very familiar with that here, the two of us. So. Yeah. So, so that would <laughs> yeah. that would be an issue because I like to visit baseball stadiums. I've already seen Toronto, but if they got a new stadium, I got to fill out all this paperwork and, you know. There you go. I, I think, thought you were going to say because you wanted to come and see me, but that's fine. It can be baseball. That's yeah. Okay. All right. See how it is. You Two know. birds with one stone, you know. There you go. All those things, though, that you're mentioning, mm-hmm. uh, what were any other revelations for the reasons that you think led to this behavior? Uh, did you look at your adolescence and other issues from your younger days? Or, I mean, because usually there's always something that's going on that whether you had a lack of self-worth due to parents who are neglectful or things like that. These things happen and then they end up burning us later in life without us even realizing it. No, I, I, I had a, had a great childhood. Um, I think that, um, it's a lot of the culture that, um, I live in Wisconsin. So, you know, I was just casually looking up Wisconsin and it's like seven of the 10 drunkest cities in America are in Wisconsin. 12 of the drunkest 20 counties are in Wisconsin. So party um, school, man. Yeah. 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 How far is Wisconsin from us? It's not very far across a lake. Okay. Yeah. Cause I've met in Windsor. I met quite a few Wisconsin boys. And so that's like, I feel like that's a bit of a drive to come and just party for the weekend. But yeah, they're basically Canadians like Michiganders. It's the same thing. You know, and, and, and I, I don't know the, the nitty gritty behind those details. Maybe the drinking statistics for Wisconsin are largely driven by college students. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't pretend to know that, but I know right. that one time I was at um, a three-year-old's birthday party and it was 10 in the morning. And I remember my good friend's sister-in-law, you know, she's looking around the room and she's like, why is everybody drinking? It's 10 o'clock in the morning at a three-year-old's birthday party. And I'm like, why wouldn't we be? As I had a Bloody Mary in one hand and probably my second beer in the other. So Mm -hmm. uh, there is certainly a culture aspect to it. And, you know, some things, but, but, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily blame it on that. I think all the choices I made were my own. I think, you know, like I said, I was the one who kept partying after other people stopped partying. I was the one who started off the drinking. So while I think your environment can certainly influence it and maybe make it harder to 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 not do it, you're ultimately responsible for your own for your own decisions. Um, you know, and I think thinking about, you know, you asked if I was still tempted to drink. I do still miss the taste of it, but right now in my basement, I probably have 200 beers that I I just age down there for some of them have been down there for six or seven years. I age them for my friends and I give them to my friends because I know that they enjoy them. Oh, wow. um, so I, I still have a little bit of a complicated um, relationship with alcohol. It's like, I don't think alcohol is bad and I have no problem with any 
adult enjoying it responsibly, reasonably, or however they want to enjoy it. For me, I just can't do it. And one thing that stuck with me from a guy I met is his, his take on it was, you know, it's not the seventh or eighth beer that is a problem for me. It's that first one. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is for me. Because if I have one, that's where I just keep going over and over again is I make it up to that ninth or 10th beer. So for me, I can't have one. I have no problem with anyone else in the world having one if they want to, but I can't. And I, yeah. And may I ask, so you were saying that your, um, your wife, obviously when you guys were younger, you guys did party together. Um, and does she drink now or does she not drink at all? Or does she occasionally? Sure. Yeah. I tell her I have no problem with her drinking, but um, she has also kind of just phased away from it. Um, I know she had a glass of wine at a wedding we were at um, in the last year. That's all I can think of. She she really doesn't drink that much anymore. Um, It it might make it easier for me. Mm -hmm. It it might help, but I I am very comfortable being around people that drink and I know that some people aren't, but, um, yeah, I just, I know I have so much to lose if, if I would go down that path again. And I like, I like not drinking now. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yay! See, these are the things that happen and they never seem possible at one point. And then a lot of time goes by and a lot of work is done and behaviors are altered and suddenly you are capable and able to do things that you weren't really thinking you could do. And Aaron is showing that. He's also admitting very clearly, by the way, I, you know, do you feel, you must feel you're on a pretty solid foundation right now? Because Mm -hmm. if you didn't, you probably wouldn't be. And then therefore you would be on this flimsy territory of, oh man, I feel like I could relapse any day now. But there's a lot of people, especially in the 12 steps, and you mentioned going to AA as part of your process to getting to this point. That's a, you know, I'm just, it could happen to me tomorrow. Tomorrow could be my day. And, and I don't always prescribe to that. I mean, I understand if it works for somebody, great. Do your thing. Do what you have to do. But it could be pretty draining, and it might be deflating for me to constantly think that, you know, I'm on the brink. Tomorrow could be the day where it all falls apart for me. That that could be exhausting. But it's also a reminder of, hey, that's where you were and you need that perspective. So I, I can see both sides of that kind of thinking. I'm curious what you think. Um, yeah, I took a lot. Um, there was things I took from AA or, or en- enjoyed, I guess, but but things I didn't prescribe to as well. Um, and even, even before I... I I came on the program today, I kind of looked up AA because I know they can sometimes um, be a little hush-hush or wary of, of who talks about oh, that's AA. Right. Um, and, you know, well, and the traditions. I, you know, yeah. And they don't want people doing it for recognition, power, personal gain. But I'm not out here doing any of that. I don't represent, you know, AA. I don't actually even go to meetings anymore. Um, but they want to th- say things like it's about the message, not the messenger, you know, because that that's what it is. Um, so I am comfortable, you know, saying I was in that, I, I'm not a spokesperson for them or anything, but, um, I never followed the 12, I never followed the 12 steps. Um, for me, I didn't necessarily prescribe to that. What I really got out of there was the personal connections with people, the Mm -hmm. stories of, of their triumphs, the stories of, of their defeats, all of it, you know, um, I'm not a, 
a huge hugger, but I, I would hug strangers in there. I mean, these, these people are, are weeping, you know, um, when they're sharing their story and it's so raw and it's so real. And, and that's what I got out of it was the stories of how it had ruined their lives and, and the path that I might've um, been headed down. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that, that I would caution to people about AA is, you know, there, there can be some bad actors in there. Um, and by that, I just mean, there are people that are forced to be there. Um, a diversion program so that they can avoid jail. You know, when you go to AA, you're, you're, the only requirement that they have and they state is the desire to stop drinking. And there are there could be people there that don't have the desire to stop drinking. There could be people there that are um, there because the court is telling them to. So for someone who's serious about stopping drinking, you know, just be, be wary or be a, alert of the, the groups that you're breaking off and having talks with because if you're having groups with people are like it's okay you know to have a couple maybe that's not the group you should be talking to maybe you should see a couple different individuals there because um that that was just my experience with with that program that's great advice i never would have thought about that part because in my head i was like oh but that's okay you guys are just in a meeting and you're just listening so it's okay if the guy next to you feels differently but you're right you become like a brotherhood or like a family that you do meet outside. That's a really great point, Aaron. Yeah. And you do, yeah. you do break off with these people or, or, you know, um, have these individual discussions. And one time someone came up with the idea, like, Oh, I'm going to be a soft sober, which meant mm-hmm. I'm only going to like drink enough so I don't get drunk. And it's like, well, that's, that's not really what I'm looking for and, and good luck to you. But that's, that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Fool's gold. Fool's gold. Only because, yeah, of course, do what you want. Do what you right. think is best for your own life. But uh, we also have things now it's called science and data. Uh, a lot of these things are about learning what we've done in the past, and what works and what doesn't. And unfortunately, too, AA as a program, it has a really, really high failure rate. There's also a lot of relapse in that, too. But uh, it's as I've said on the show many, many times, Leanne, AA, 12-step programs, they're wonderful, wonderful welcome points to anybody who has no idea what to do. It's like a first step to connect with people. So I will always vouch for the 12-step community in that respect. I've been to a 1,000 meetings, and I understand it all, and uh, I just want that to be clear. Uh, Aaron, what is one thing you would tell somebody if they're seeing this or hearing you today who would be in a similar situation who might be struggling with an addiction that they can't seem to cope with or they can't even seem to know what the first step would be. Could you offer one piece of advice for someone who feels hopeless? Wow. It's like you're inside my brain just knowing what I want to say. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> awesome. The, the, one, the one piece, uh, I don't know, besides everything else I said, is uh, what Joe Chapman said when you interviewed him. He talked about he would have friends that would say, oh, you're not an alcoholic or you don't have a problem with alcohol. And you shouldn't let others dictate if you have a problem. If you feel like you have a problem, um, then I think you're probably being able to be pretty honest with yourself. Um, conversely, if, if other people do say you have a problem, maybe be willing to listen from that aspect of it. But if people are saying you don't have a problem, I would say that you're more qualified than they are to know if you have a problem. The reason I think that is because 
you're not as honest with those people possibly as you are with yourself or even the other members of AA. I wasn't telling my friends that I was swigging, you know, bottles of whiskey when I woke up in the morning or before I go to bed at night, but I would tell people at AA that. So it, it, it wouldn't be shocking if your friends wouldn't think you have a problem because you're going to hide a lot of your behaviors for them. So don't ever doubt that, that you have a problem if you think you do. Uh, be, be confident in your, in your choices. And, and um, if you want to look to change your life, there's, there's no reason to let anyone tell you differently. Wow. That's really, really important. Wow. That's great. That's what it's all about. Yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. Joe Chapman, by the way. Uh, hi, Joe. Uh, Joe told me today, Leanne, he wants to contact me to talk about starting his own podcast. He was so thrilled with his effort Good and the feedback that he got from other people that he is inspired to take his message to the airwaves. So thank you, Joe. Uh, we will oh. talk about that very soon, Joe. I'll text you, obviously. This is not the medium for us to be having a conversation while Aaron's on the show. <laughs> so is this I think- a good time then? Can we? Oh, go ahead. Were you about to say, is this a good time for a transition? Yes, there we go. <laughs> That's right. Hey, this is the first day podcast. You're listening live or you're watching live. Actually, you're not listening live. You're listening on your own time. But we're live here. If you have any questions for Aaron, feel free to drop them in the live chat. We will happily try to answer them. I assure you. Firstdaypod at gmail.com if you want to send off-air comments. Yes, this is a good time to transition, Aaron, into be fast, maybe some stroke talk. What do you think? It sounds great. So, um, you know, I'm done drinking. This is 2018, uh, October. I have uh, a year, November of 2019, uh, November 15th is when I had my stroke. So for the last, from 18 to 19, I have a full year where I am like a baseball player coming to spring training. I am in the proverbial best shape of my life. I'm exercising. I'm eating well. I'm emotionally great. I'm physically great. I'm wow. mentally, spiritually. I, I'm legitimately in the greatest um, shape of my life. And then I just wow. had a stroke out of nowhere. Oh, that's not the story we want to hear. So yeah, it, wow. it was completely out of the blue. Um, normal day at work, uh, wife and the kids went out grocery shopping one of them was uh, left behind with me. Um, I was upstairs um, and it was like a bomb went off in my brain. Um, there was some noise to it. I can't remember. Almost like like static. Like I can't fully remember it right now. But it was like an out-of-body experience. I don't know if you've seen the movie um, Being John Malkovich. I have, yes. He has other people in his mind. And he's not in control of himself. And that's the best way I can describe it. It was like I was looking down on myself, but not able to control myself. So I could think at what I consider probably 100% speed. And I thought, what is wrong with me? Why can't I walk? Because I got up on to walk and it was like I was on a ship. I couldn't walk straight at all. And then I tried to call out to uh, the youngest who was still home with me. Uh, at home with me and it was like a garbled mess coming out of my mouth I could not speak English I could think clearly but I couldn't speak so it was like a complete out-of-body experience it it was crazy what happened leading up to this like perfectly normal day nothing I I went to work I was watching tv 
something snapped in my brain or, you know, more precisely, I got a blood clot that traveled into my brainstem. I smelled something. It smelled like ammonia. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and then it was just like a, 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 a bomb went off and, and I don't know what happened. Um, so then, uh, yeah, called my wife and she said, you know, call 911 immediately. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That is My intense. gosh, Aaron. I am I feel so uncomfortable right now. But I mean I, I'm that means you're telling a good story because yeah. that is real and, you know real shit. I, yeah. Not, um it's kind of scary because I was a, I, we were we were three or four yeah. minutes away from heading out the door. My son and I had to go shopping um at, at a store that would have been about a twenty minute drive. So I could have been on the freeway and had a stroke and then it's like half of half of your body is slowly dying and the other half is trying to compensate. I did get an adrenaline rush. So, you know, maybe one arm was drooping, but then they went up a little. So you got an adrenaline rush that, you know, maybe it, it convinced the doctors like they didn't know what was going on because I'm, I mean, I consider myself an old man based on my creaks and joints and, but, but they said I'm a relatively young man, so I'll, I'll trust them. Um, (laughs) And they, they had no idea what's going on. So you mentioned be fast. So how you can recognize a stroke is, is the person's balance off eyes? Are they complaining about vision problems? The F is for face. Is there a droop in their smile or, or their eyebrows? Does will one not raise? Have them raise their arms uh, is the A. Um, speech is the S. Is it slurred? And then the T, the time, you have about... Um, depending on the doctors or how comfortable they are three to four hours to get a TPA administered at the hospital. And what TPA is, it's a clot bluster, a a clot bluster. Easy for for me to say. (laughs) Um, It opens up blocked blood vessels, restores the blood flow to your brain. And the reason you want to take that is because your chance for recovery is, is much greater, just a full recovery of your, you know, your, all your faculties. Um, It opens things up. The downside of it is um, there's a 3% chance if you take it, that you'd have a brain hemorrhage. So it would cause further bleeding in your brain and it would worsen the symptoms potentially or, or cause death. So that, that's something you have to weigh is, you know, do do you want to take that 3% chance, but you can have a better recovery because it's going to free open the blood clot. Um, For me, uh, all sorts of things went wrong that night. Uh, The MRI machine was down at the hospital, so they couldn't get in and take a scan of my brain to see if I had a stroke. Um, The adrenaline was kind of kicking in. So, you know, my arms were straightening out. Maybe my smile was getting back to normal. They weren't sure if I, if I had a serious stroke, did I have a minor stroke? Uh, they didn't necessarily know what was going on. So I didn't take that risk, that 3% risk. If I could do it again, I don't know if I would do it again. Or, um, you know, if I would make a different choice, that's, that's tough to say. Um, I'd consider it. Mm-hmm. They, they, they go over the risks with you. They, they tell you the pros and the cons, your, your recovery options, things like that. Um, even when I went to bed last that night, um, things were working pretty well. I could still, you know, squeeze my wife's hand or raise my arm or et cetera. I woke up 
four or five hours later and the right side of my body was completely dead. Wow. I, I couldn't wiggle my toes. I couldn't move my fingers. I couldn't, I couldn't do, do anything. Wow. Um, it took four days for me to be able to just move my thumb sideways. Oh my gosh, Aaron. Um, yeah. So, and I'm, I'm kind of a, a jokester or whatever. So I wanted my wife to make, make me, uh, ha- film me doing a f- film review where I gave a, a review and I gave the movie a, a sideways thumb. I couldn't give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down cause I couldn't move my wrist, but I wanted to let people know that, that I, I had movement and wow. yeah. That's awesome. And just, just speaking a little bit more about, um, the videos I make make or jokes I might make about strokes. I have a little off color humor, a little irreverent. I I'm fully aware that people die from strokes. Mm-hmm. I'm fully aware that people might end up in wheelchair the rest of the life. By no means would I want that to happen to them. And I would be sensitive as can be if I had a conversation with them. For me, I'm comfortable joking about it because maybe that's a way I can better reach people. And if you don't joke about it, you're going to cry about it. I mean, that's that's how I felt about it. And I did cry about it those first few days because I couldn't move at all. And that was, that was really um, a terrifying experience. Absolutely. My Lord. I mean, if anyone's qualified to talk or crack jokes about it, it's probably you. So (laughs) I understand your point and we appreciate that. But you do you. You've earned the right because you did have the stroke. You're here talking to us today. We can obviously assume that you recovered and you came back. So we know that you've been on the other side, which to me gives you carte blanche to do whatever you want. (laughs) I already think you should do whatever you want in this life anyways, but that's just another reason to uh, be free. And express yeah. yourself as you see fit, but yep. uh, we appreciate your uh, yeah. your qualifiers. I d- we do. <clears throat> yep, I, I just know you know it it can be a serious serious issue, and there are stroke therapy groups for people after they've had a stroke, and I might recommend joining one of those. Um, for me, I didn't necessarily need to do it because I had a really good relationship with my um, physical therapist. Um, I just felt like I I said everything I need to with them, or, or good relationship yeah. with my, um, and then. Um, so I was in the hospital for about five days. Um, and then I was in an inpatient for about three weeks after that. And what happens with a stroke, what people don't realize possibly is um, besides the physical paralysis or, or whatever you might have, you, the mental toll is incredible. It was exhausting to try and to try and open or close my fist or to, to turn my wrist or to to wiggle my toes. It mentally wipes you out. They set you up for an hour of physical therapy, an hour of speech therapy, and then an hour of, I don't remember the term for it, physical therapy. One of them is your lower body. The other one's your upper body. And the last is the speech therapy. So you'd have three hours a day and that's, that's all the human body can really handle because you're wiped after that. Wow. Yeah. That's bonkers. How do you, Not to skip ahead here, but how do you look at it now that you're recovered? And for what we can gather, you seem like a fully functioning human being again. How do you look at it now from where you were? People who hear these stories and they see these stories and they listen to your story and they think, boy, how how would I be able to cope with that if the damage is permanent? You know, I, I think that scares a lot of people. 
mm-hmm. into thinking that, first off, denial that it won't happen to them mm-hmm. because they don't want to think about the consequences that you suffered, for example. Or secondly, that eh, if it does happen to me, I think maybe I'm just better off dying. I wouldn't want to go through all the pain of recovery and, I, and this damage that still could be permanent. Even if I got a lot of feeling and movement back, it might not never be the same again. Maybe I won't speak properly again. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have a lot of vanity and pride, so this stuff can happen. Well, from where I'm at, from where I was to where I'm at, like, so I would try and do a, a children's puzzle. It was like 10 big pieces, and I would time myself, and it took me 20 minutes, and then it took me 15 minutes, like, to just have the brain power, the skills to put together um, that puzzle. Um and there was there was definitely dark times. They were trying to think if I had to be set up with Dragon software, which is software that uh, would let me speech to type. They they never thought I would use my right hand to type again. I mean, wow. it's it's not as quick as this one, but it, it still moves pretty well, and I can still type. Um, you know, so so I understand what you asked, and how how could there be help for? people who might have permanent issues. What I want to say is the best way to avoid permanent issues is you need to work your butt off in physical therapy because the, the recovery that you make in the first month is the, that's your, your best time for recovery is that first month. And then the second month, six months, the harder you can work and the harder you can push yourself, the better your recovery is going to be. So, the ironic or the the hard part is when you're at your lowest moments just mm-hmm. after you've had the stroke is when you need to work the hardest you're in oh. your, the darkest you've ever been probably in my life you needed to work the hardest and and fortunately my nurses were very good in, in telling me that so i would try and work and take extra walks you know you go for 50 steps and then 100 so what i would tell people going through a stroke or who are have a loved one with a stroke, try and get them to, to do um, all the rehab they can, encourage them as much as you can, any visitors that they can have, any, you know, text messages, anything, it's, it's very encouraging. People who might have a permanent disability, I, I can empathize with that, maybe not to the level, I'm not in a wheelchair, um, I'm not able to run, I can walk and, you know, do weird dances or things like that you couldn't run if you tried it would look like my leg was caught in a bear trap or like that woman in jurassic park you know i could shuffle i could never cleanly run people would look at me and think there's something wrong with that guy's leg but you know so be it if i should say this i could outrun some people i could not outrun (laughs) some others you know it looks terrible (laughs) You know, I've lost some some functions. Some days I wake up, um, I'll have um, muscle cramps, unbelievable muscle cramps, unbelievable pain. Um, my hand will be in a kind of a claw until it gets going for the day. Mm-hmm. When I get into wow. a cold weather car, I'll have uncontrollable shaking of my right side. Just weird things. But, you know, there's there's always hope of of, you know. It's a great question. I don't know what I would tell someone who has more permanent issues. Like, I guess the way I would look at it is, you you know, you're not dead. There's, mm. there's always something, hopefully, that that can drive you on. You know, yeah. There's there's totally there's a lot of right? there's a lot of sad things in life. You know, <clears throat> if if my wife died tomorrow, I'd be very grateful for the time I had with her up until 
until now. You know, I hope she'd feel the same about me. Um, you know, if you've if you've had a stroke, the the sad statistics are you're more likely to have one in the in the following couple of years after, um, up to five years. After mm-hmm. that, it's considered a new a new incident. Um, but you know, I, I looked it up. Even with a minor stroke, they expect a couple of years to be gone off your life, but that doesn't, you know, cherish the years you have left and try and try and make um, every everything you you can out of the time that you have. Like, um, you know, I think it's appropriate that you have sunshine in your first day pod logo because when I got out of that rehab facility, um, it said, you know, it's Aaron's time to shine, and it was a big sunshine guy with sunglasses on you know so time to shine it was my first day um after mm-hmm. inpatient stroke therapy beautiful. and as a reminder we are talking with aaron krueger those of you who just joined us he survived a stroke and he's telling the tale of how that happened and what happened he's also in recovery from alcohol addiction which he is no longer involved in so he's free of that now doesn't mean he's an addict for the rest of his life either just saying uh, Brian says, hey, Aaron, I was really impressed with your powerful stories. It takes a lot of courage. Thank you, Michael, Leanne, and Aaron. Well, thank you, Brian. You're the best. Yes. We love you. Uh, Corey also said, great question. I think he was referring to what you were just covering. So uh, well said and well discussed. Uh, we have a few more minutes left before we wrap up the show. Uh, what else would you like to express? Because stroke awareness is clearly important to you. And this Do you find it odd because I think about opioid addiction. I think about substance use disorder and I went through it myself and I just feel more of a connection to it now because it happened to me. And I guess that's selfish and ego driven in a way, but at the same time, it also helps me understand it a lot better. And it makes me feel like I want to help people in a way. And I wonder how you reckon with that, with uh, whether it's the stroke or alcoholism or either or. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting because sometimes a stroke can make people less empathetic. It can affect not only your your mm. um, physical aspects, but it can affect your emotions as well. It just depends where in your brain the stroke happened. Um, but but I do think that having a stroke makes me want to reach out to people um, or, or having an issue with alcohol just to you know, you never know who you're going to help. And and when you meet someone on the street, you never know what they're going through that day. And, you know, and these are things that I'm saying, and I don't want to come off like a better person than I am, because I definitely, definitely have days where, you know, I can be a jerk to my kids or a jerk to my wife. And, you know, I'm not trying to be preachy to anyone, but it's just like, that's something I have to tell myself to step back and and think about. And, um, you know, share as much as you can help others when you can you know i really appreciate when govier is open and honest about his issues because what that does is it it opens up people to be able to talk about theirs i haven't necessarily shared mine on on a a scale such as this and it's something i'm comfortable with doing there's another um you know He's, he's more of strictly a baseball guy, but he's very open and honest about his struggles with alcohol. And he talks about them on his shows, um, you know, 15 year or 18 year or whatever recovery. So there are people out there that you wouldn't expect to be open up these topics uh, about these topics. But, um, 
it gets rid of the stigma when more people are willing to talk about it and it can affect anyone at any time i just there's no one that's above this it it, it could happen to me again i don't let my life be bogged down or depressed by that issue i mean it could yeah. happen again you know so i do appreciate that there's people out there willing to talk about um, addiction issues um, substance abuse issues and then also um you know connections you can make through twitter you know are can be very real i, I believe that govier and i have a connection I, there's another gentleman named um taylor he he hosts a, a pod it's called um join the ranks we've we've actually spoken on on the cell phone um to each other and how he ends uh, the show him and his his friend joe that he works with they give the the national suicide prevention uh number at the end of every show and you know they they encourage people to reach out if they're having a struggle and it comes across as genuine when he does it or when you do it because you're genuine people willing to listen to people and you never know who you might be able to help that day so that's the important message you know it if you were looking for a closing thought, I think that would be the message is you never know who you might help. Um, be willing, open and honest to share, be willing to listen. You might learn something. Um, I think you, you'd mentioned in one of our chats, um, Govi, that people deal in all or nothing too much. There's going to be things about you that I don't necessarily agree with. There's things about me that you guys might not, might, might not agree with, but that doesn't mean that we can't learn from each other. Um, and, and, you know, just enjoy each other as human, human beings. Wow. That is the perfect way to end this. This has been fantastic, Aaron. This is, I'm, I, I feel like I'm speechless. I'm, I'm just so grateful that you went through all of it. I feel I'm like glad. we had two podcast episodes today. Like they were so. I'm yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like an aura. You can separate them, but you still got a little piece of one in there mm -hmm. somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so you gave me lit, mm -hmm. you know, learn, implement, teach. So one thing that I try and remember is um, to have an attitude of gratitude because there's so much to be thankful for. I find myself getting angry at the smallest things and it's something I need to do better myself. You get angry at the smallest things? What's wrong with you? I, <laughs> my attitude is not gratitude. That's why, you know, I, I, I suffer from the human condition. I need to do better I don't better know anything that. about that. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I'm very calm. I have, yeah. There's so Nothing little. Nothing bothers him. So little in this world that frustrates me. I'm, Especially when he's driving. He's so yeah. calm and cool. <laughs> I will never be part of a road rage incident. I never will. It's just again. <laughs> oh goodness. That is the attitude of gratitude. I love that. That is um, so important. So yeah, I wanted to thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate um, you letting me have this discussion with you. I appreciate the interactions um, that we're having. Uh, Govier mentioned, you know, it's awful hard to get what you want to say in a two minute Twitter video sometimes. So having this <laughs> opportunity to have this discussion, um, it's something I really appreciate. You did amazing. You did Thank amazing. You. I am so grateful that you came on and I still feel like there's probably a lot more. You've got so much 
goodness, I'd like to dive in um, on another show, maybe down the road, um, because I think the stroke awareness portion of it, um, especially coming from someone so young and so vital and somebody that was in the best shape of his life, I think that's super important because um, we just, we wouldn't know. And then that whole piece about the first month of you doing the work I know for me, I would probably be like, you'd be in your head way too much to do anything else. So that's, I feel like that could be your message really and saving a lot of lives. Yeah. Full clarity. That's the other thing we learned. You're saying that you could think clearly, right? Totally could Mm -hmm. think. Yeah. From the the moment it happened and through the whole process, you were fully capable to like have your own inner monologue, right? Correct. Yeah. And I don't know that that's the case for everyone, but I could, yes. Okay. You could. And did they ever give you the reason why it did happen beyond it? Just a clot, obviously, like, like, was it a genetic thing or did you ever get a concrete answer? So, uh, yeah, they never, it's kind of terrifying, but they never found anything wrong. And they said, you know, this could happen again. They don't have me on a blood thinner. They don't have me on anything. They couldn't link it to any medical condition or, or anything. So, but you know, for someone to have a family of history of something, it has to start somewhere. And I'm just that person that started that family history. Oh, wow. Wow. Look at you. You're building a legacy. (laughs) Holy smokes. That's pretty crazy. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow is the word. Aaron Kruger bringing it, being honest, direct, telling it like it is with some empathy and a heart of gold. That helps too. But he also has a sense of humor. And that's what we pride ourselves on the show here. We like to talk about legit issues like this, the stuff that our lives are based on. But we try to do it without being, you know, cheesy or uh, lame about it or like inauthentic. Like we're trying to sell you on something. Oh, we have a comment before we go. This is from Corey. Corey says, hi, Corey. Wow. You're nev- hey, we Corey. never see you on this show. This is unusual. <laughs> uh, say hi, Leanne. I just said hi, Cora, but you were talking. Say to hi us. to the whole family. They might be watching. Hi, Jazz. Hi, kids. Hi, everybody. Okay. Uh, anger is so natural. It facilitates fear and retreat and attack. It's quite an accomplishment to understand and channel the response positively as Aaron has done. Kudos to you, Aaron, from Corey. Well, thank you, Corey. That's thank you, Corey. Look at that. Wow. Anger is natural. It does have a place. Um if you find that maybe you're annoyed all day long with a lot of angry moments, maybe there's, you know, you might want to balance that out with a bit more gratitude. I know I need to work on that. Don't get so upset about stubbing my toe or uh, (laughs) what else do I get upset about? Uh, Leanne, what's a good one? Come on. You're there. Cutie of the week when you're driving. (laughs) Cutie of the week. You call it something else. You never call them cuties, but you're always arguing with about the drivers on the road. That's the one that just jumps out on me all the time. Oh, this week's asshole? Yeah. There's always some, yeah, every time I'll be driving around. Oh, there's this week's asshole. He cut me off. Thank you very much. So and it's always a man, usually. So of course, although women are on their cell phones, they're on their cell phones talking. I've seen that too. So you're not exempt entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, this is off topic. We thank you for joining us, Aaron. Uh, you guys could follow him on Twitter, like we said, fantasy T ball. Fantasy T, the letter T ball. And you can check out his videos about snacks. He's working on his videos, and they're going to keep getting better, right? We're looking it's forward to a, the next one. It's, it's a live, the, the littlest amount of fantasy baseball talk you could imagine and snacks in a two-minute video. But also in the future, I, I'm going to – I might slide in some tips, you know, just not stroke awareness, but other things you can be aware of that people might genuinely learn from um, mm. while trying to mix in weird – 
you know, humor. Right now I have a prop that uh, is supposed to arrive in about a week. I'm going to do uh, maybe, a, you know, a, a giveaway to like a fantasy baseball site if people guess what the next snack is. So I, I want to, you know, yeah, you know, people love free stuff, so. Especially mm. snacks. <laughs> yeah, snacks are huge. Snacks are a big deal in this country. And in Canada, too. All of North America loves snacks. You know? Uh, there it is. Yeah. Some of the snacks might end up being healthy. Maybe I sneak an apple into the show. Oh, wow. Well, that won't be fun, but sure. <laughs> I love apple. If it's a Granny Smith apple, I'm in. It's got to be Granny Smith. Yeah. That's my preference. Well, well thank right. you both. <laughs> You were yes, fabulous. Aaron, thank, thank you so you. much for joining us. Remember, stroke awareness, be fast. And for those of you that are struggling with substance use disorder, whether it's alcohol, opioids, cocaine, anything at all, caffeine is out of control, your sex addiction, gambling, you've lost all your money because you gamble it all the way and you still can't stop. It's a compulsive issue for you. These all apply to all of us, and we're working through it. You can contact me on Twitter at MJGovier, G-O-V as in Victor, I-E-R. I'd be happy to talk to you about any of that stuff. Like we said, Aaron Fantasy T-Ball on Twitter. He's happy to take your DMs as well, I assume. And, of course, email the show, firstdaypod at gmail.com. Leanne doesn't use Twitter very much. You can just email us. So she'll happily respond. Yes. And uh, that'll do it. That's another episode of the First Day Pod. Don't forget the book club, Monday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern times. Email firstdaypod at gmail.com for the link to the Zoom. We'll gladly accept you. And until then, we thank Aaron Kruger. Thank you so much, everybody out there. Take it easy now. Bye. Bye.